Hello and welcome to the Axiom Insights Learning and Development Podcast. I'm Scott Rutherford. This podcast focuses on driving organizational performance through learning. There's always something new to learn in L&D. Technologies and tools are updated and introduced, and with them come new opportunities and possibilities for developing content and engaging with learners. And that's not to mention the systems and data that we can use to improve and socialize results from learning investments. Staying up to date on everything that's new can be a challenge. And so this time on the podcast, we're focusing on resources you can use to take advantage of to develop your own skills and competencies as a learning professional. Beyond the conversation in this episode, which is a closer look at how you can develop skills to excel as a trainer using virtual delivery, we're also publishing a resource guide with information and links to dozens of learning resources and programs relevant to the learning leader and to the L&D professional. So you can find it on the episode page for this podcast at axiomlearningsolutions.com slash podcast, or you can use the shortcut link axiomlearningsolutions.com slash resources. The resource guide will be a living document too. So if there's a class or a resource that you love that you don't see on the list, there'll be a form at the bottom of the page. Submit it to me and we'll add it to the list. Thanks in advance for your input. I think it'll make the resource guide even more valuable as we add to it. Also, in the next episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about another valuable professional development resource, through the lens of volunteering in the learning profession. We're talking with volunteer leaders in various roles, including volunteers with several local chapters of ATD. And we touch on how being connected with peers through ATD and other associations is valuable in that it helps all of us stay current about what works in learning, what technologies we need to be paying close attention to, tips and tricks, and so on. That episode will be out soon. And in order to be notified when that is released, Be sure to click subscribe on whatever podcast tool you're using, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or really wherever you get your podcasts. And so with all of that said, let me move on to our discussion with our guest for this episode. Kevin Siegel is a speaker and an author of multiple books on e-learning, including Adobe Captivate, Articulate Storyline, TechSmith's Camtasia, Articulate Rise 360, and others. He's an e-learning expert and the founder and CEO of the International Council for Certified Online Training Professionals. The council offers an e-learning-focused certification called the Certified Online Training Professional, which focuses on the skills and techniques needed to connect with learners in virtual training. Kevin explains more about that and what's necessary to excel as an online trainer. Now, mind you, this is long before COVID. This is about um, 17 years ago. I decided I'm going to start offering all the classes that I teach on site in person. I'm going to do all of them uh, online, virtual. And none of my colleagues were doing that. And as a matter of fact, when they found out that I was going to stop going on site and go online, they said, you're crazy. It's such a limited audience, tiny little classes. How are you going to translate what you do in person? Because look, uh, if you ever saw me in person, I try to do site gags to to try to make the training as fun and informal as possible. And uh, and I remember as an example, uh, I would would pass around this little doll that you could shake and it would make noises if you were getting frustrated. So it was like a silly thing. I mean, but you would do it just to make the students relax and have a good time. Well, there's no way to send along a thing you can choke or shake or do anything with 
in a virtual room. Uh, I would bring donuts in to my stand-up classes. There's no way to enjoy a donut virtually with the rest of your group. There's no camaraderie there, right? And so they're saying, how are you going to translate that? And I said, I'm going to make this thing interactive. And they said, how are you going to do that? The bandwidth's going to kill you. There's no way to do it. So I started teaching all of the classes at Icon Logic virtually. We did not have a brick and mortar facility. Right away, what we, what we found was no rent, no equipment to buy for all the students. Because if you think about it, if you're, if you're teaching a class with 10 people and those 10 people come to your facility, you have to have 10 computers all set up with these 10 programs. And then when the student leaves, you got to get it back to a state that you can teach the class again because, you know, students come in. I'm sure you've seen this. And they just play around with the computer and who knows what they do with it. So it's right. not you have to reset. Of course, you have to reset it. Or I, I distinctly remember uh, going out on break when I had a stand up class and, and coming back in during the break. And I as I walked by the student, I noticed her seat was wet. Soaking wet. Now, either there had been an unfortunate accident or something else was afoot. And I noticed on her desk, her keyboard was wet. What had happened as she went out on a break is the ceiling above had leaked. The air conditioning had leaked onto her seat, onto the computer, onto the keyboard, and she just sat down and didn't realize she was now sitting in a puddle of water. And I encouraged her to get up because she was sitting in water with electricity. And I thought that was probably a bad idea. But the bottom line is all the computers on that side of the room were ruined. Now, what do you do, right? How are you going to move your room and reset up the technology to teach that class? Bottom line was we couldn't. We had to reschedule the class. Mm -hmm. It's just a disaster. So uh, you have limitations on the hardware. You have limitations on logistics. You have limitations on the computer and the expense. And you have the rent and everything and everything and everything. So all of that went away when I taught virtually. Surprisingly inexpensive to lead a virtual class versus a lie, uh, an on-site class. So over the years, I'm, teach, I'm teaching live online and I'm getting better evaluations than I ever have gotten before. And I did manage to find ways to replace site gags with things that would work virtually, all kinds of things that I do to make my virtual students laugh just like they did when they came and saw me in person. So I translated all that. At some point, I remember clearly one of my students came up to me virtually, you know, they didn't, didn't approach me and said, Hey, um, the, the way you teach these classes, I've never seen anybody teach this way without us falling asleep. I didn't even get tired in two days of training. Can you teach my team how to teach like you? My first response, no, <laughs> come on. I do what I do. Don't ask me to quantify what I do because I can't do it. And they were disappointed. They went away. And I think, I, I don't know who I told, but I think I probably told my wife. And she looked at me and says, what do you mean you can't explain it? Of course you can. It's what you do. Explain it. So I, I called the student back and said, you know what? I have rethought this. I can teach your team and I'll do it in three hours. So that led to a class that I taught for a couple of years called Train the Trainer. And it was just a three-hour class, and I taught at the highest levels the way you can engage your students. And after a couple of years of that, one of my students said, 
this class was great. I wish it was longer. And do you think you could certify my group to be certified professionals online? And I said, absolutely not. I'm not a certifying entity. You know, you'd have to be a certain to do a certification. And that was that. But then I, I looked into what would it take to become a full certifying entity. And the bottom line was you have to start an organization and then it has to be recognized by industry leaders as a viable entity. So this took now, this was over the course of 10 years. I started the International Council for Certified Online Training Professionals. So ICCOTP. And there was a whole council of trainers who joined me and served on that council. And over the years, we put together this two-day, totally immersive course called the Certified Online Training Professional Course. And then we put this course out there for many, many organizations. And over the years, it became established, one of our biggest clients is the National Council for Certified Online Dementia Care Practitioners, so NCCDP. Uh, They have hundreds of trainers who gradually started teaching online. All of their trainers have to come through our program and get our certification because they want to be sure when they send out NCCDP trainers to teach online that these trainers can actually teach online. So uh, at the end of the day, the, the ICC OTP course, the Certified Online Training Professional course, became a full certification, became recognized as an incredible opportunity to improve your virtual training experience. And since then, IconLogic, that is my training company, has been authorized as the only company to teach it. And so that's what we do. So we, we have that certified online training professional course that we offer about every six weeks available at the IconLogic website. Let's uh, dig in a little bit more on the COTP, the Certified Online Training Professional Credential. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the question is, what does it encompass? Or maybe to put the question another way, uh, is there? Do you have a, a, a map or, or is there a roadmap to the ingredients of effective virtual instructor-led training? Yeah, so we actually have a full rubric. So let, let me just tell you what happens in day number two that I think really is the, 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 the icing on any kind of cake you could think of. So during the course, we teach you all of the important skills you need to teach live online. And I'll get into that specifics in a minute. But on day number two, See, here's the thing. We, we, we have uh, Bob, at co- he's a training manager at Company X. And Bob is going to send Sally to us to be trained as a certified online training professional. And Sally is going to finish the course by taking an exam, which basically proves she either guessed really well to pass the exam or she paid attention in class. But does Bob really feel comfortable that because Sally attended the class and Sally passed the exam, that Sally's going to be any good. And we got that covered because here's what we do. And I think this is a little bit unique. Uh, Every single 
COTP candidate who comes to the class is required to teach live online during the class in front of their classmates and three members of the ICCOTP council. And they'll be in the room and they're going through a checklist of the things they're looking for to make sure that Sally can teach live online. So what happens after that? If Sally does not hit all of Sally's marks, she misses some of the points. Privately in our learning management system, we will let Sally know, hey, you missed three things. We want you to come back on a mutually agreeable date and we're going to have you do it again. And we want to make sure you do everything, including these three things you need to work on. Or if Sally hits all the marks, good to go. We say in the LMS, that was fantastic. Here was your score. You got to get at least a 70 out of 100 on these checklists to pass. So you got to pass the live competency, live online, teaching about anything. And you got to pass the exam. And you can't get to either one of those if you haven't participated in the class fully. So after Sally has completed that live online competency, I can now tell Bob with absolute certainty, I promise Bob, not only do I think Sally can teach live online in an engaging professional manner, but I know she can. And here's the recording of her proving it. So no different than an actor trying to get a job and doing a screen test. Here is Sally's screen test. And if she wasn't good enough to get past the screen test, she wouldn't be in the movie. Oh, yeah, I hope that sits with you. You see what I'm going with that? Makes sense to me. I understand. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so let me tell you now, if you want, I can tell you, you know, from soup to nuts, what people learn in that class, you know, uh, from the beginning to the absolute end, including the online competency. Uh, next thing you know, hours have gone by and nobody got a chance to say anything. So uh, I, my colleagues have learned how to nudge in there elegantly, because if you're trying to nudge on me right now and we're not careful, we, we end up talking right over top of each other, which is just not good. Right. Like those those uh, uh, experts you see on the news who yell at each other. Nobody can get a word in edgewise. So uh, if you're on TV or you're teaching virtually, that means you have an ego big enough that you want to do it. And you just want the microphone. And that's what I want. So uh, we have multiple trainers. And during one of the sessions, we actually actively tag team teach. So class starts off uh, with some online training basics. Early on in the class, we talk about the value and the importance of establishing credibility. And in a lot of industries, that credibility is known as an elevator speech. So uh, I, I give the example is I, I attended a project management class years and years ago when project management was the thing. You had to get your project management certification. I don't know why. It was like, you got to get it. You got to get it. So I attended the class and the instructor <laughs> introduced herself as a project management expert and said that she had managed two projects and one of them worked out okay. <laughs> Now I'm doing the math and I'm seeing 50% fail, fail rate. And I'm thinking, my goodness, half of your projects didn't work out well. You could say also, we'll look at the other side, half of them did, but I looked at it as half of them didn't. And I was already concerned and it didn't get any better. This person was not a trainer and 
just just was all over the map with their training. It was horrible. It was so bad. I paid a lot of money for that class. But when that class broke for lunch on the first day and the students started heading back to class, I kept going that way. And they were like, where are you going? I go, I've seen enough. You guys have fun. Done. That was the end of that. So we talk about credibility and why should your students listen to you? And it surely better be better than a 50% success rate at what you're teaching. You know, I want to see like you, certainly when I do my elevator speeches, when I'm teaching Captivate, I tell students that not every project has gone beautifully. But during this class, I'm going to teach you all the successful things and I'm going to share with you some of my failures so you do not repeat what I did wrong. So if you're going to have failures in your introductory, make it to point that that's not typical, but we have them and how are we going to deal with it? So I talk about uh, getting your class on the right foot. Then you've got your students that don't feel comfortable in a virtual environment. What are you going to do for them to accommodate them, right? You've got people that come to an online space, have never seen a chat pod before. Yes, it is in fact true today that people will come into your room. They don't understand screen sharing, chat pods, emoticons, you know, the little smiley faces and that kind of thing. And not only that, even if they understand chatting and emoticons and the pods that show up in these online spaces, these, these features are different between Teams and go to training and WebEx. So I bounce around to all these different environments and it always takes me a few minutes to figure out where am I and what tools do I have available today? And am I prepared to use these tools? So we do the elevator speech. We get them comfortable with the environment. We talk about the course pacing. So when I started teaching these classes, one of the reasons that very first class was not successful is I know that to teach the concept that I was teaching that day was going to take me 12 hours over two days. So six hours each day. They said, you cannot have these students in front of their computer for more than two hours total. And I said, well, how am I going to teach 12 hours of content in four over two days? They said, you're going to have to condense it, which right away is a recipe for everybody being upset. And I found, and you tell me this is true or not, is it a true that you are in front of your computer all day, every day? I think there are days when I've spent uh, 10, 12 hours without realizing. Okay. And if you went to a, and, and look, I'm speaking about computer training software. Certainly, if this is soft skills, this could be a little bit different. We're teaching some kind of a life skill. But if we're talking about computers, even if you went to an on-site training class and it wasn't virtual, you would be in front of a computer. Am I right? Right. Well, I think there's a difference between simply being in front of a computer. Just saying that doesn't uh, doesn't bring into the picture, okay, what does the student engagement look like? What What is the learner doing in that time? Right. I'm, uh, I'm going to get there. Yeah, After, they're, they're a very right. different thing. I mean, obviously, I think people would default to saying, worst case scenario, that I'm clicking through self-guided uh, self-guided slides where it's it's just click next until you hit the quiz at the end. We actually cover that, too. We talk about the differences between instructor-led training, virtual or otherwise, and e-learning. So you got the synchronous and you've got asynchronous. So if you're talking asynchronous, 
completely different animal that's you're totally by yourself and you're clicking through it. And if the lesson's good, you're learning. If it's not, you're probably just clicking to get through it. But 10 hours of that might be too much for anybody uh, to take. I would say. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, We, 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 we talk about a typical e-learning course is about an hour, unless there's some kind of requirement that it has to be longer. So that's only about an hour. I'm talking about exclusively synchronous learning, although it should be pointed out that in the certified online training professional class, there is a component that talks about how you can do blended learning and how you can incorporate e-learning with live instructor-led training that's taught virtually so that students can be put onto an e-learning lesson. We give live examples of that and you can do it elegantly. And that's a great thing because as an instructor, it gives you an opportunity to kind of step back, let the students do something on their own. But if I'm teaching Articulate Storyline, for instance, the students are all using Articulate Storyline as I am teaching it to them. That is absolutely no different than if they attended the class live on site. They're going to be in front of a computer. They're going to have Articulate Storyline, and they're going to do things right along with me. The difference is that I would have been at the front of the room teaching Articulate Storyline with my screen being projected on one or more monitors up at the front. So you as the student do your work, you look up, you do your work, you look up, you do your work, you look up. And I'm telling you that with screen sharing today, that is absolutely no different than attending a virtual class. So I have eliminated now the need for all the hardware of a training company. I've eliminated travel for everyone. And that turned out to be quite, uh, uh, quite amazing given COVID because COVID shut everything down, we didn't lose a beat. We had already been online. We didn't have to pick up any new skills. We're ready to go. And then we saw the online training certification explode, of course, because everybody panicked because they realized they had to start teaching their stuff live online. You you said something very interesting, uh, and that is engagement. And it all equates to attention span. There's two numbers that I think students ought to take to the bank. One is 15 seconds. 15 seconds is learner attention span in an asynchronous PowerPoint type e-learning lesson. So you've got a slide on your screen. How long do you have before the learner goes, hey man, this is getting a little bit ponderous. And I say that's right around 15 seconds. Not exactly 15, nobody can say that, give you a range. So 10 to 20 seconds would be a nice range, 15 in the middle, right? What's the attention span for uh, an adult learner in a live virtual instructor-led class? What do you think? I said 15 seconds is the sweet spot for e-learning. What about live online training? If you engage your live online audience every two to three minutes with an engagement tactic, you will be successful live online. Engagement tactics include, this is real simple say the student's name, just say, Scott. If I say, if you're one of 10 people in the room and I'm teaching an active lesson, I'll do some kind of a story and I'll say, look, if Scott wants to blah, blah, blah. My intent was actually not to call on you. My intent was just to make sure that you heard your name. And for a few seconds, your brain kicks in and you go, oh, I heard my name. I think I'm about to get called on. Now you're wondering if you're going to get called on, but I have no intention of calling you on you. Well, maybe I do. That's one engagement tactic. Another engagement tactic, 
quite literally call on Scott. And here's an example of the way we would call on you. So um, I have a question of the whole audience, everybody in the room. I don't want anybody to answer the question. I want you to think about it. Then I'm going to call on one of you to answer the question. So here's the question. What is the attention span of a typical American goldfish? Don't, don't, don't yell it out loud, anyone. Now I'm going to pick some. Scott, would you please unmute and tell me what is the typical attention span of an American goldfish, not a Brazilian goldfish, an American goldfish? Right. And of course, I would respond, you know, four seconds being a parochial American. Okay. And I would say, uh, Scott, that wasn't quite right. The answer actually is seven seconds because the American goldfish is seven. The Brazilian is 15 and the Swahili is. You you see what I'm saying, right? That kind of question, by the way, is known as an overhead question. And during the live competencies, if you want to get a perfect score, one of the things you have to demonstrate is an overhead question. So here's here's how some people think an overhead question works. They would say, hey, Scott, I want to ask you a question. Can you unmute? Scott, are you there? You right. Can, and the, and the, incentive, the incentive then for the, uh, for the <laughs> learner is being put on the spot and not knowing what to expect. Also. Over the, so, Yeah, but if I call on you directly, now you're mm. prepared, right? Sure. If I say it's over the head of everyone, everyone's waiting, and then they are so relieved when it's not them. But what I could do then, Scott, is say... Uh, you know, you didn't get that question quite right. Why don't you ask someone else in the room the same question? And then you get to pick anyone in the room. And it's never treated, by the way, as punitive if you get it wrong. It's just a way to engage. So mm-hmm. quizzes, polls, surveys, overhead questions, calling on names, uh, asking, just, just doing this. Are there any questions? Now, that's not an overhead question. That is a question of the group. Just give the people the chance to say, yes, I have a question. Uh, Asking someone in the chat pod, would you please tell me what you had for breakfast this morning? Now the chat pod's going to light up, right? And when you respond to the chat pod, what we tell our students is, don't just say, oh, Captain Crunch, Mm -hmm. lucky charms. Yes, 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 yes. You would say, oh, Bob, you had Lucky Charms. I love Lucky Charms. So call the student's name out and associate it with the answer. Not only is that helpful for the people attending the room, it verifies and validates what Bob said in the chat pod. But the other thing is, if the session is recorded, and we always record our sessions, for a lot of these training environments, the chat pod is not part of the recording. So if I say, Tell me in the chat pod your, your five favorite vacation spots. And I just kind of go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh, I love that one. I love that one too. That's a great one. Well, first of all, what am I even talking about here? What is that? How many times have you attended a, a conference, uh, a session, and they ask if there's any questions? Unfortunately, they ask if there's any questions at the end, right? Instead of peppering it throughout the whole session for engagement, they should do that. But they, they ask a question and somebody asks a question and the person on stage goes, that's a great question. The answer is 55, yes, no, and yes. And in the back of the room, you're saying, what did, what did they even ask? Can you repeat the question? So we tell our facilitators, when you get a question in the chat pod, read it out loud. Hey, 
Joe has asked the question about the attention span of the goldfish. That's a great question. Let me clarify. See? Right. You're not only reinforcing the information, but you're also, I think, reinforcing the fact that this is a group. You're, you're adding humanity, I think, to the online experience that way. And I don't know if that's, that's being done explicitly, but um, it does seem to me, at least, that one of the weak aspects of online learning has always been, well, when you compare it to a classroom, how do you socialize? How do you know that you're a member of a group or, 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 or participate in, in, a, in a social aspect? That's absolutely correct. So, I mean, one of the things that separates us from animals is we have names. We have names that have been given to us or we have given ourselves and we communicate with those names. So why not use those names as an engagement tactic when you teach? And not just engaging at the end, but engaging from the minute that class says go till it ends. Now, I, I want to talk about some of the other things that we cover. One of the most unique things that we cover in the class, what do you, what do you think, how important are the visuals when you're doing an online class? So if, if you're teaching Storyline or Articulate Rise or any of these programs, your graphics are the program itself. So if I'm teaching Articulate Storyline and Storyline's interface isn't elegant, I'm stuck because that's my background, right? That's what I'm using the whole time. But if I'm teaching a lesson on conflict resolution, that's the course that I'm teaching. How do you think the visuals come into play? Are they, are they important or can we just throw up a PowerPoint deck and be done with it? Well, I, I would I would say that realizing that we're on an audio only podcast, of course, visuals are important. <laughs> okay, in an audio only podcast, the visuals aren't important, uh, <laughs> right? Okay, don't think you're tricking me with that. But in in an environment where you're teaching live online and you are showing your screen, then the visuals are critical. And I am sure you've heard the term "death by PowerPoint." Of course. So death by PowerPoint simply means your PowerPoint presentations are loaded up with a, a headline and a bulleted list, a headline and a bulleted list. And let's be revolutionary here. Let's put some clip art in. That is absolutely the worst thing you can do to an audience that has been using PowerPoint now for 30, 40 years. Even worse, compound the issue, you put up a slide with a headline and five bullets. And what do you do as a trainer? You read the headline and then you read the bullets. And then you ask, are there any questions? What do I need you for if that's what you're going to do? So instead, we teach a concept called iconography. And iconography is a way that anyone can take a dense PowerPoint slide with potentially great information and distill it down to just a few visuals with you filling in the knowledge gaps because you are the controller, like the old, um, like the, the games you'll play, like the Wii. And did I date myself by saying Wii? The Wii stayed the PlayStation. <laughs> there was a thing called the Wii. Is it even sold anymore? I don't know. But where you're the controller, right? So, you are the course. The course is not your PowerPoint deck. So if I say to you, can you please give me your PowerPoint deck? The response is, I sure can, but it's useless to you without me because it's just a bunch of icons on the screen. And I bought those icons to life. 
we actually teach the audience how iconography can be developed out of what would be a horrible slide. And I'm talking about, it's probably the most popular part of the class. It takes about three hours of the class time. And the students actually get to work with an incredible graphic designer to come up with visuals, even if you're not a graphic designer. Above and beyond that, Microsoft PowerPoint is doing some incredible things with designs that you just have to get out of the way and let PowerPoint recommend a design idea that's going to be 10 times better than I could ever do. Now, if you're a world-class graphic designer, you're probably not going to use it, but most of us are not. Most of us are guilty of doing death by PowerPoint. So let the software do it for you with a couple of design ideas, a little bit of a nudge from my graphic designer. She is also a certified online training professional and she teaches during that class. So that's a big component of day number one. In addition to that, we, cut, we have lessons on how to take your regular materials and prepare them for deliverable, what you can do with a PDF to protect yourself, for instance. We already talked about the PowerPoint designs and how those should not be death by PowerPoint. And would you believe that when you teach a class, what a lot of people do is they get themselves a script and they read the script verbatim to their audience. And would it surprise you to know that the audience can tell when you're reading a script? What do you think? Well, the, the, the talent, uh, and I was, this actually came up in a conversation I had separately just, uh, just yesterday. We we're talking about the skill set required for people to deliver a script in a way that can be convincingly, uh, that, that was convincingly authentic and people didn't believe it was a script. And that's, you're talking about a 10th of 1% of people who have, who have gone through many, many years of training to do that. Mm -hmm. I think, I think they're called Oscar winners. Yeah. So it is a difficult skill, but we actually teach how you can sound more conversational when you teach your online courses. And in most cases, being a little more informal is better than being too rigid and formal right. and definitely don't want to sound. So we, we give examples of, is this person reading or are they speaking? And you want to speak. So the only time that you really have to match your script verbatim is if you're doing e-learning and you're creating closed captioning out of that script. Now you've got to be perfect. Because if you're not perfect, your closed captions are off and that gets you into hot water with Section 508 compliance for learners with disabilities. Speaking of which, we also talk about some strategies for assisting people who are attending your class and need assistance, such as American Sign Language. How do you incorporate that? Maybe closed captionings. Which of these online training spaces can do live closed captioning? Uh, and that and those sorts of things, because you do have to accommodate people with, with disabilities. You cannot discriminate uh, for more than one reason. Uh, if you just want to take it at face value for the law, it's illegal. So you have to accommodate whether or not morally you think you want to do it or it's the right thing to do. It's illegal. So you have to accommodate. And we talk about some strategies for that as well. All of that happening in two days. And don't forget that part of that second day is everybody's teaching for 10 minutes against a rubric, which we set up that you have to prove that you can do what we've been teaching you for the past day and a half. Over the past couple of years, you alluded a minute ago to uh, our experience in, in the COVID pandemic and, and, the, and the rapid shift toward online, online first or online exclusive. 
learning as well as online exclusive living in many cases. Uh, but now as we're in a mode of return to office, return to society, return to normalcy, whatever that means, mm-hmm. uh, I do hear people uh, in our field and, uh, and influencers, uh, business influencers, say, well, you know, we want people back in the classroom because that's better. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Well, so how do you address that when, when there, and and do you think there's still a lingering perception in in the industry and in the business world that classroom is better? Uh, Okay. So COVID did us a favor in that regard. If you can find a silver lining there that it it made it so that you, you have to make this work virtually. It's what we've been talking about for years. People are actually doing it because they had to, but the, the initial perception, uh, and it still does linger. You're correct. Is that uh, virtual instructor led training, isn't as good as instructor-led training and somehow should be less expensive. And I'm saying, no, the intellectual property, uh, the transfer of knowledge that you're giving is exactly the same if instructor-led training versus VILT. Uh, the only difference is the, the quality of and comfort level of the VILT instructor. So if the, if the virtual instructor does a bad job, even though they're very knowledgeable, the, the class crashes and burns. So never before has skill as a trainer been as important as it is virtually. And, uh, and I'm telling you that in what I am seeing is that there are some events that are never going back to, to uh, on, on site only. Um, at, at the worst, they're doing, at the best, they're doing both. You can come attend or you can do this virtually and we'll have, we'll, we'll have the sessions being recorded and you can actually watch it in real time. There's many companies that are doing that. Uh, there, there are many other companies that have decided, wait a minute, uh, we canceled our conference the first year because of COVID. We ran it the second year, but virtually, and oh my God, we had the same number of attendees but we had none of the expense for the hotels, the food, none of that. So why are we going back to on-site other than how fun is it to be in Vegas? I love it too, but it wasn't necessary to, to give the knowledge in all these sessions. So if you think about it, anybody who teaches or has successfully taught as a presenter in these conferences should be getting trained to do virtual instructor-led because either they're going to be moved only to VILT or they're going to be doing both and doing blended. And I have seen the blended events get, get buggered up because the, the on-site instructor completely ignored the virtual audience, just taught their, taught their session and didn't even have a thought to, well, wait a minute, you got a whole virtual group out here. Maybe there's even more of them and you've completely ignored them. So when I teach, I teach to both. So I actively engage my audiences. And I will also tell you one other thing I'm doing. When I record my sessions to my live class, we actually sell those recordings. So you can come and take Camtasia training from IconLogic. You can either take a live, go attend a live class or you can purchase the recording from a previous class. And when you re- get the recording, I'll welcome the people who are attending the class watching just the recording, I'll, I'll address them and say, I want to welcome everyone who's watching the recording later. I'm going to include you in this class as well. And throughout the class, I address the people who are with me and the people who aren't because I know that there is another audience out there. So every recording that I do takes into account 
those multiple audiences. I've seen different approaches with this over over the years. One one approach which I was uh, I was a fan of uh, when I was doing seminars uh, at the University of California. Uh, we would have a group in the room and an online audience, and we would assign a member of staff, typically in the room, to be the advocate for the online audience. So so if there was a question or a comment that couldn't be voiced, that was came in through a chat a chat box or so forth, someone would stand up in the room and voice that to the group. Yeah, and I, I do that myself. So we teach our certified trainers. They are required. And, and we test this when you're doing your online competencies. I'll put comments in that chat pod. And you, as the candidate, better respond to it. Because if you don't, that means you're not paying attention to your chat pod. And look, you could have someone in there that says, hey, that step didn't work for me. Hello, it didn't work. It didn't work. And their audio is not working. You left them behind 40 minutes ago in a really important session. You know, you know, I was also asked, is there is there anything that that is not appropriate for teaching live online? And up to today, I have never come across a a subject that couldn't be taught equally well virtually as it was in person. The only things that would be a challenge would be things where you actually have to have hands on whatever it is. As an example, CPR. If you need time with that, um, are you still calling it a dummy? What is the? the I think the, a dummy. The I think you still yeah, calling the, it a dummy. Okay, don't yeah. be careful. What did I just say? Whatever that thing, the mannequin, the, <laughs> the CPR, the, the CPR thing, mannequin. The CPR we'll say that. Well, yeah. you can't say no. Okay, whatever it's called, you might need that so you can actively do it. But they're even setting it up now where everybody would have that device with them connected to the computer, and you can see how they're engaging with it. So that's going away. The the one exception that 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 I heard that would be like, hmm, you probably have to be on site to experience that. There, there was a student who came to my class and they were going to teach um, all the rules of a mortician. So preparing the body for burial, right? Or, or doing um, uh, or uh, forensics, right? Uh, medical examiner kind of thing. And they mm-hmm. wanted to teach it virtually. And they made the point of saying that this class is going to work live online. It's going to be great, except for one thing. And they said there was a portion of the class where you could smell certain things. I don't want to get descriptive, but that cannot be easily translated to a virtual session. You do have to be on site. I know you can do ways to augment sense, but other than that, I just couldn't think of anything that wouldn't be appropriate for teach online. And truth of the matter is, before the pandemic, one of my virtual students was a dog trainer. And I said, so what, you, you're going to teach dog training. Yes, I want to offer not e-learning, not recordings. I want to actually teach how to work with your dog online. And she did. And six months later, pandemic kicked in. Right. Her business was taken off. Now it's failing. She, she told me it was failing. I said, why don't you just go online? Like you said, she goes, you know what? I'm going to do it. Took off like a shot with right. people sharing their cameras of their puppies misbehaving and her helping remotely. It's incredible. So you can. And what what you're talking anything. about, though, what you're talking about, though, is, is being attentive to the the right modality for the content. So, you yeah. know, it, online is great. Classroom is great. Blended flipped is also great. Yep, yep. I love flipped. I love the flipped classroom. By the way, I'm a. I, I was a fan of the flipped classroom before the flipped classroom was a thing. And all that really means is engage your audience in the homework. Let them do it t- together as a group. Let's all do it together and don't go home and do homework, right? right. And just, to use your example of the CPR mannequin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
I appreciate that there is part of that which is which is tactile and hands on, mm-hmm. but certainly parts of it which are which are uh, foundational learning, which can be you know which can be transferred in a number of ways. So wasn't it ninety something percent? Ninety something percent. I mean, why are you going on site to a driving school? Why why are you doing that? Except for the part where you physically have to get in the car. Why isn't uh, Big Bob's Driving Academy live online? Why? To this day, I don't understand it. I, I took my daughter to a driving school not that long ago. I'm like, why am I driving you to go sit in the classroom? Sit, do this life online. Doesn't make any sense. Which could be transferred in a number of ways. So. Wasn't it 90 something percent? 90 something percent. I mean, why are you going on site to a driving school? Why, why are you doing that? Except for the part where you physically have to get in the car. Why isn't uh, Big Bob's Driving Academy live online? Why? To this day, I don't understand it. I, I took my daughter to a driving school not that long ago. I'm like, why am I driving you to go sit in the classroom? Sit, do this life online. Doesn't make any sense. My thanks to Kevin Siegel for joining me. The International Council for Certified Online Training Professionals can be found at ICCOTP.com. And we'll have that link as well on our directory page at axiomlearningsolutions.com slash podcast. The Axiom Insights Learning and Development Podcast is a production of Axiom Learning Solutions. Axiom is a provider of learning services specializing in on-demand contingent talent for any L&D role or level to provide you and your team with the resources you need to build and support successful learning projects. Axiom also supports custom content development, content updates, learning technology administration, and more and through the Axiom Strategy and Leadership Practice, provides curated leadership programs, advancing your organization's leadership capacity at all levels by drawing on a curated library of resources, all based in best practices and learning science. And you can learn more about what we do at axiomlearningsolutions.com. Thanks for listening to the Axiom Insights Podcast. 